wield as we go about fighting. Now, war is something that seems far off for many of us, at least certainly us of a younger generation. Uh, I was talking with Faith on Friday or Thursday as we were here doing the bulletin. We were talking about vet- veterans and people, you know, at a time in our country where young men were called away or drafted to go and partake in battle. That's, that's, that's foreign to us nowadays. You know, we don't, we don't do that. Our military exists and, and people sign up willingly, but to imagine a time when many if not, you know, most or all of our young men and men went off to fight, that seems foreign to us. But yeah, I think that, yet I think the idea of being in a battle does make sense. I know that sports don't compare to real warfare. I mean, that's a, a bad comparison sometimes, but we do understand the aspect of competition or being in a battle where you're trying to win something like, even like a sporting event. So we, we grasp that. And, of course, one of the primary passages that we're familiar with is Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 20. I'd like to read the first three or four verses there to, to set the stage before we get into some of our songs and have our opening prayer. But beginning in verse number 10, Paul concludes this letter. I mean, if you've read Ephesians lately, he, he concludes a lot of things. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. This encouragement about what is found in Christ. Uh, then we think about chapter 4, which talks about the unity that we have. Um, that we can that we should walk in there's a lot of encouragement chapter 5 gives us marriage and and the church chapter 6 to the families the beginning but he concludes all of his message all of this epistle with verse number 10 finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on once again doesn't sound like a, just a, a kind suggestion but put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Jesus speaks prominently about preparation, being ready, being prepared. And I think that's the same point here. We have to be ready to stand. We have to be prepared to go into battle because we are going to. We're going to get into it in just a moment, one of our points, but absolutely, there's work to be done. There are battles to be fought. If we just sit back and allow the world to do its work, sin to do its work, then we're going to not be prepared, and more than likely, we're going to succumb. We're going to lose. We talked about this a a couple of Sundays ago with the idea um, of of marriage and and homosexuality and that kind of thing. And I I made the point, some people would believe we've lost some of that battle. And we have new battlefronts to fight on. None of this is new exactly to some degree, but we have work to do to fight against sin. And to be prepared to stand for God and to stand against all the evil things that come around us. Uh, You have some of the songs that are listed in the bulletin if you have them in front of you. Uh, We'll sing a couple here at the beginning, just a moment after our prayer, uh, and then we'll kind of make some points that that deal with some of the songs as we go through them. So Clayton's going to lead us in a couple in just a moment, but first Michael will have our opening prayer. As we think about the songs that we just sang a moment ago, if you uh, think about Ephesians chapter 6 where we were just a moment ago, we sang in Soldiers of Christ Arise the idea of put your armor on, and we even mentioned it briefly, but why? Well, it's so that we are prepared and ready for battle. We teach our children. We spend a lot of time trying to teach our children to be prepared for what they're going to face. 
I mean, we even, you know, we speak a lot about our family, of course, as we're going through things, but from a teenage uh, boy to, you know, young children, there are so many things that you're trying to prepare them for so that they are ready as they think about facing things that are serious, you know, things that will come and let them in life and things that maybe aren't serious, how to, how to wash clothes or how to take care of, you know, the house or things and take care of themselves. All those things are so that they are prepared. And when we think about being Christians, we need to put our armor on. We need to be ready to face all these different things. And what we get caught up in doing sometimes is we categorize these sins or these things and we say, well, I'm prepared, I don't worry about that. But maybe sometimes we're not prepared for some of the smaller things. And those are the things that trip us up. Those are the things that, that will give us trouble and cause us to, to sin and to be separated from God, at least for a time. In the song, Soldiers of Christ Arise, we sing that we are strong in the strength of God. And as the screen says here, we are strong in the Lord of hosts. We even sing the words, you may or come through Christ alone. I remind you about the lesson this morning, that everything we have comes from God. The, th- the blessings that we receive, at least, especially spiritually, are when we are in Christ. And it's through Christ alone, through his power, that we're able to handle these things. The psalmist says in Psalms chapter 29, Psalms 29 and verse 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. Psalms 29 and verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 34, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 34, Hebrews 11 we're familiar with because it's the hall of fame of the faithful or the hall of faith we sometimes say. Do you recall in Hebrews chapter 11 that it begins with some longer accounts, if you will, I guess, talks about Abel, talks about Noah, talks about Abraham. And I don't know the last time you've looked through Hebrews 11, but it's specifically in verse number 30 of Hebrews chapter 11 that the story kind of picks up and begins to mention a lot of generic things, really. A lot of things that we read about in the Old Testament that have happened. And I would encourage you to go back maybe later today or as you begin the week, if you're thinking about some of these things, and to consider Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, verse 30. By faith, Rahab, verse 31 And it begins to list these things. He even says in verse 32, For the time would fail me to say. I mean, the stories are too long. There's too much to share about how all of these great people have done great things by faith. Then in verse 34, continuing this list, it says, Who quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight, the ar- to flight the armies of the aliens out of weakness were made strong I- i've heard it said numerous times by by you all by your own mouth to talk about how i don't know how i would have been able to face fill in the blank unfortunately a lot of times in our world today it's death it's the loss of a spouse it's the death of a loved one and someone says i don't know how i w- would have been able to get through that for some of you it's been sickness i think about some of you that we know or have have battled things in the past whether it's cancer or something else and you say I don't know how to got through that I was weak but the answer is I was usually made strong in the power of God or for us especially made strong by my brothers and sisters by the prayers of loved ones that's how I made it through whatever it was we are strong when we are in the strength of God when we are with the Lord of hosts and when we are overcoming with Christ If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we transition secondly into the song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is one of the great battles that we read about on the pages of the Old Testament. The battle belongs to the Lord. The the chorus says, we sing glory 
honor, power, and strength to the Lord. How is it? How is it that we are able to sing and honor God during battle? Well, the song says it's because of what we have on our side. In heavenly armor, we have heavenly armor. No weapon that's fashioned against us can stand. We don't fear fleshly things, in a sense. None of us are going out and playing in the street. I know it's kind of a a, a silly way of saying that. Nobody walks into battle and says, well, just shoot me. God's going to protect me. Well, we take precaution, but we also don't fear earthly things. No weapon that's fashioned against us can stand. He's raised up a standard, the power of his blood. And, of course, we even sing that our redemption is near. How can we sing and honor God during battle? Because of what we have on our side. Also, a second point under this uh, subpoint or this song, how can we sing and honor God during battle? I would suggest to you this afternoon it's because we learn from the greatest warrior in perhaps the greatest battle. Do you recall in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47 is one part we'll look at just now. By the way, we're going to come back to this verse or passage in just a few moments. But as David is getting ready to fight Goliath, in verse 45, the Bible says, Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So this is partially where that song comes from as we think about the battle belongs to the Lord. But as I mentioned, we'll come back to this in just a moment after our next song here in just a second. But the battle truly belongs to God. How can we sing and give praise to him in the heat of the battle? By learning from what David has to say here. Let me ask you to imagine for a moment. Do you imagine that anyone else ever confronted Goliath? It seems like the way that Goliath interacts with David, that he was familiar with someone coming to him, possibly to to maybe do battle and then maybe running away. And I feel like David here, especially verse Uh, 45 as he begins this speech is almost referencing this idea that there may have been some people who were you know bravado ready to go make the march over to Goliath and get ready to go and then kind of cowered out you know maybe they see Goliath for the first time up close and they're like that's a giant and they're a little more nervous about it they kind of start cowering in fear just a little bit but David says you know I don't come to you with all those things all these physical things, but I come to you in the name of God, with the God of Israel, the God of heaven on our side. And by the way, the battle's over. You can imagine Goliath, it's not read to us this way by scripture, but Goliath almost probably wanting to fall over on the ground, right? Laughing, you know, so hard, splitting his side in laughter, thinking about what's this little boy, as we sometimes call him, this, this young man is saying that it's over. He's already got it won. How can we do that? have that type of attitude, how can we sing and honor God during battle? Well, we learn from David, and we recognize that it's not just us by ourselves. And it's not even just us as a congregation, as a group of people. It's us as Christians serving the God of heaven. I love what David says here about defying God, that that Goliath has done that, 
And he says, this battle is over, but it's not by my own hand. It's not by my own power, but it's because that the world may know the God of Israel, that there is a God in Israel, there is a God in heaven who rules. And so he makes that statement. We need to know that the battle belongs to the Lord in verse number 47. I don't know what battle it is that you're facing, and chances are good you've already fought some, and there may be more to come, but may we always recognize that the battle belongs to the Lord. And with God on our side, we don't have to fear giants, so-called giants. We don't have to fear any weapon that can be fashioned against us here upon this earth because we serve the God of Israel, the God of heaven, and he will help us as we go through these different battles. We're going to look at a couple other passages in just a moment, but we're going to come back to 1 Samuel 17. So if you're there, you may want to put your finger there, or you can come back in, in just a moment. You can, you can uh, guess for yourself whether standing up during the Stand Up, stand up for Jesus song is required, as sometimes our song leaders joke about, or whether it's just to make sure everybody's awake. That'll be in one way or the other. But the question comes from this song, are we counted on the Lord's side? Are we counted as being in the number who will stand up for Jesus? You know, we need people who will stand up. You think about the world that we live in, usually majority rules. And majority a lot of times wears us down as we feel like we are in the minority. And we've said this before, but by the way, Jesus makes it very plain. His people, Christians, true followers of Christ, are going to be in the minority, right? We talk about the narrow way and the few who will find it and the broad way and the many that will go down it. This is not news to anybody who wants to serve Christ. We know that we're going to be in the minority, but look at the world we live in. We need people who will stand up, be willing to be counted, and to make a stand for something. We think about the old song, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. There's some truth behind that. A couple of other passages before we come back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. Watch, stand fast, be brave, be strong. You hear that language again. You know that soldiers are going to have to, to have bravery when they go into battle. Be brave, be strong. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. There's less of a military army type tone there in, in Philippians chapter 4, but we do see the concept of standing. You think about standing up. I mean, even as we joked about, about there, you stand up, you're more prepared to handle something. You sit down, you're more relaxed. You're more likely to go along. You're just kind of, a, you're not as able to fight or to be prepared if you're sitting down. And so the many other passages that we won't take the time to look at uh, this afternoon that point out that we need to be ready to stand, we need to be on the um, even defensive, the offensive, kind of both in a sense, ready to go to battle. Because the world that we live in, it wants to sort of swallow up as many people as possible to go along with whatever they've decided is right today. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks with some of these topics that are part of our political society and, and the world we live in. But whatever the flavor is today, whatever is true for you, is true for you. That's what they want you to go along with. But we want to be able to stand and to stand firm. Back again to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and the story of David. David asked this great question as he comes upon the scene. You recall that he is not there. He's sort of out in the field. 
And, and as he then comes to visit his brothers and to the army that's there, in verse 28, his brother, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Listen here, little boy. You just showed up for the fun of it. You know, you just came to get a view, as we call it, rubbernecking, you know, going down the road, and if there's a crash or something, you just came to see. And so why are you here? And he's angry. And in verse 29, David says, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? This question echoes, echoes through the years, through the ages, thousands upon thousands of years. Is there not a cause? A lot of times, even, yes, in our world today, and we, we talk about not wanting to get political and that kind of thing, but, but when people stand up for things like home, or against homosexuality or abortion, when they stand up for the family, God's plan for the family and our children, they're often just called, called troublemakers. You know what? You're just, you're just trying to cause trouble. You just want to fight. And let's talk about social media again for just a moment, and that, that's where it comes in sometimes. You know so-and-so, all they're doing is causing trouble. And I will fully admit that, yes, sometimes on social media it gets very convoluted, and it's hard to understand and to understand tone when somebody is meaning something. But this question just echoes. It just beats at me to think about, is there not a cause to stand for God? And there absolutely is when we begin to list all of these things. Homosexuality, abortion, the family, truth, what's right. All these things matter. There is a cause. There is a reason. There is a need to stand up. What David saw as he approaches the battlefield is people standing around doing nothing, acting like cowards, wanting just to wait. And leave it to somebody else. And friends, that's what I'm here to tell you this, this afternoon. We cannot just keep leaving it to somebody else. As we talk about losing the battle against some of these things, and we talk about why we're losing our young people and why we need to stand, it's because for far too long, many people just sit on the sidelines and watch and wait. Somebody else will stand. There will come a day. But notice and, and think about verse number four of the song that we just sang, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Verse 4 says, the strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, and the next, the victor song. I'm afraid what happens is, for us, this day, the strife won't be long. This day, we have a battle, and for us, we may not hear the victor song sometimes here upon this earth. But what we recognize with this song we just sang is that we can sing the victor song because the reward has already been won, in a sense, by Jesus, by giving his life by shedding his blood dying on that cross but not just dying on that cross but rising again three days later the battle's been won and the reward that we have is the crown of life we have the opportunity or the ability i guess opportunity to reign eternally as that song concludes but that's only for those who are with him in him and will stand stand up stand up for jesus that's what we need to do and it is certainly a a encouraging word it's also something that's very difficult in our world today but when we sing songs like that may we be reminded that we have to stand in just a second here Clayton's fixing to come and lead us in our next song and then after that uh, Jacob um, is going to come and, and read a scripture for us
when we think about our faith and the ability of faith to win the victory, we spoke just a moment ago, faith can do a lot of things. Think about scripture for just a few moments. Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 20, we see that faith can move mountains. Now, I think that doesn't always make as much sense to us because we know that just by our will, so to speak, or our mind or our faith that we have, mountains don't physically move. But we know what Jesus is getting at in verse 20. He says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As we think about our faith and the, the strength of our faith, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, we see that without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. A lot of people want to make serving Jesus, serving God as a number of different things. Some people want to leave the church out. Some people want to leave attending services out. But we recognize that we do have to have faith. Faith includes a lot of things, but there is strength in our faith, and we have to have it in order to be pleasing to him. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5, we know that Ephesians mentions the seven ones that are listed there at the beginning of chapter 4. And we see that there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. There is one faith, the faith that we serve, that we have to follow after God. When we think about faith being our victory, we just mentioned a few moments ago the whole armor of God. The shield of faith is a part of that. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's the whole list of things. That was something that I wanted to preach on this year, uh, or maybe it was actually in 2020, and when our services got off and we canceled for a while, I never came around to it. But the whole armor of God that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, the shield of faith, the sword that's the word of God, to have our waist girded with truth, the bre breastplate of righteousness, feet covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation, we have to have, as a part of that, we mentioned, first of all, a shield of faith. What do you rely on when in battle? When a person, and even go back to the time when they wore literal armor, right, put on these big pieces of metal and wore little, literal armor like that, in a sense, what do you rely on? Will you rely on those things to protect you? And for us, what do we rely on? Is it our faith? Appreciate Jacob reading that. First John chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, speaks about our faith. And this is the victory, verse 4, that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We can do a lot with our faith. And, and I, rec I hearken back to what we said just a few moments ago. You think you're not prepared to face something? You look at a situation, whether it be a sickness or a diagnosis or a loss or whatever it is, and you say, how am I ready to face that? And I understand the difference between talking about sin and the sins we sometimes face and something like that, but whatever it is, because both of those things are, are things that can take us down. Yes, sin will drag us down and cause us to forsake God, but the, the struggles that we face are trials that will sometimes cause us to shake our fist at God and turn our back on Him. So what do we rely on? Are we prepared? Do we have our faith? Faith is the victory. 
with faith in God and even a, a faith in a sense, a type of faith in our brothers and sisters in the church, we can face these battles. And we're thankful that God has won the victory, that Jesus has won the victory, and we can have faith in him that provides us that, that belief, that hope, that comfort that comes in knowing. I think about, I mentioned a moment ago, going back to the time of World War II or the Vietnam War and, and major battles and wars that were fought, our country were, was a part of. I, I can't imagine being a young man on those foreign battlefields wondering what was going to happen next. And, and we're thankful for all those who did that. But to understand from a Christian perspective, a spiritual perspective, that as we go into battle, we don't have to have the same fear. We might have the same struggle, the same fight, but we don't have to have the same fear because faith is the victory. And we're about to sing our last song before we make our last point and then extend the invitation. But truly, as faith is the victory, the victory is found in Jesus, and we're thankful for that as well. You know, that's a song that the world knows. Many people have sung it before, and I know it's important to many of you here. I've heard it sung here many times because it's an encouraging song. It's an upbeat song. It's one of my favorite ones that my dad used to lead. Uh, many times one of my favorites growing up. But do we really understand, as we often ask you to understand, the words that we are singing? In Psalm 121, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, I will lift up my heels, my eyes, excuse me, lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where else can our victory be but in Jesus? I was thinking about the idea that, that we, we know the thrill of victory. Again, true warfare that has been fought for, for years by, by men and women who have fought and died is not the same as an athletic competition, but most of us understand more the idea of going through a competition, a, a battle of sorts like that, and winning whether it be a game or a race or something like that, we know what the thrill of victory feels like. But where else can a true victory come but in Jesus? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, this is one of those passages that, for my two cents, my opinion, I almost envision Paul shouting. I almost envision Paul jumping up and down, and I don't mean to be irreverent about Scripture or anything that Paul's writing by inspiration, but speaking of the victory, you cannot read it, I don't think, in just a monotone, very normal voice and understand the message that begins specifically in verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And here it's a quotation, of course, from Hosea, but the quotation of someone who is victorious. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Those things are old, they're done away with, they're, they're no good in a sense. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is almost wanting to shout it from the mountaintops. We have gained victory, and it is through Jesus Christ. Where else can it come from? 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. 1 John 4, 4, John would write similar words. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. He's talking about spirits in the world, those who would try to do evil, 
There's a mention of Antichrist. 1 John 4, 3, we talked about that not too long ago. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The victory is in Jesus. The battle is won. Yes, we have to still fight in a sense, but Paul says it so strongly there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Almost defiantly in the face of death, in the face of the law, you cannot win. For Christ has gained the victory. One more passage here. John chapter 16 and verse number 33. John 16 and verse 33. Jesus says, and of course he's near the end of his life, right? You know John 13, he's washed the disciples' feet. John 14, he speaks about being the way, the truth, and the life. He is fixing to be in the garden in chapter 18. Verse 16, excuse me, chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Isn't it amazing that before he even went to the cross, he is saying these things. They may not understand it. It may be going over their head in a sense, but he is telling them, I have overcome the world. The victory is truly in Jesus. Well, how is that? As we conclude this lesson, I was thinking about the words of this song. And the words that we sing in the song, Victory in Jesus. How is it that we gain victory in Jesus? Number one, we hear. We sing those words, I heard. I heard an old, old story. How is it that we can sit here and stand here today and talk about going into the world and sharing the gospel? What do we do? We tell. We tell the old story. We tell the gospel. How do you gain victory in Jesus? Number one, you hear that old, old story. Then what? Well, then, as we sing in that song, then I obeyed his blessed command and gained the victory. How do you gain victory in Jesus? After you hear his word, then you obey his word. We're going to put it up on the screen in just a moment, as we usually do, but you obey God's simple plan of salvation. I hear it, I obey it, and then what happens? How do I gain the victory again? He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. We are baptized for the remission of our sins in the blood of Christ, in a sense. We know that the water that's been prepared here that is usually ready is part of that as we think about partaking in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But how is it that we gain the victory? We hear it. You had a chance to do that not only this afternoon, but for most of you, maybe throughout your life or certainly as you've been here at services, are you ready to obey his blessed commands? Are you ready to obey the gospel plan of salvation? And if you are, you can be baptized, be plunged in the water, buried, dying, in a sense, of course, rising to walk in newness of life life just as he did, and you're then added to the church. Maybe you've done that, but as we've talked about battle and warfare today, you recognize that you've been content to stay in the back, maybe to sit on the sidelines, to not be a part of the battle, but just to simply watch. I hope that this series of songs and lessons will encourage us to be better about serving in God's army. If you recall, I didn't ask Clay to lead it. He would have killed me probably if I'd asked him to do that. Sing the Lord's army, right? We sing that to our children. We sing that at Vacation Bible School. And we think, well, you know what? That's a kid's song. And I'll just tell you, as the guy that usually gets to stand up here and lead, I'm in the Lord's army, most of the adults sitting in the back don't sing it, right? Nobody wants us to be the one to stand up and, and go through all the motions. But do we not begin to teach our children from a young age that we are to serve in the Lord's army? Maybe you've signed up in the past by becoming a Christian and having your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, but you've wanted to run away. 
Maybe you wanted to be AWOL and gone and not be a part anymore of the battle. Friends, it's on our doorstep every day. Is there not a cause? Absolutely there is. If you're here this afternoon and you're subject to heaven's invitation, either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him, we'd love for you to join us. We'd love to all continue to fight together. And if you're here and you need to make a change, we'll encourage you now as we stand together and as we sing.